This morning's scripture lesson is from Paul's first letters to the Corinthians, reading selected verses from the seventh chapter. Listen now for the word of God. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman, but because of cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. But if they are not practicing self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. However that may be, let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned, to which God has called you. This is my rule in all the churches." Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. But if you marry, you do not sin. And if a virgin marries, she does not sin. Yet those who marry will experience distress in this life, and I would spare you that. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman and the virgin are anxious about the affairs of the Lord so that they may be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the affairs of the world how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, Faith United Methodist Church. It's wonderful to see all of you that are here in the sanctuary, and to those of you that are worshiping online, it is great to see you as well. So glad uh, to be back with you. For all of the weeks that we have been apart, I worshiped online with you, and I discovered two things. It's not the same. I discovered that. I, I discovered a deep longing to be in person with you. I also discovered that you can, you can cry and no one knows. So that was really wonderful, you know, because there are just those moments where worship brings up for you those deep feelings, and I was able to have that in the privacy of my own home, so that was wonderful. Both were gifts, but I am very glad uh, to be back with you. I'm also excited about this sermon series, and you may wonder about that as you listen to Pastor Mark read for you the, the scripture for today. Um, I remember a few weeks ago, I got online and thought, you know, I need to find out what, what I'm going to be preaching on my first Sunday back, and I thought, wow, way to go, Heather, right? She, uh, she gave me a challenge, but that's, that's great. That I'm really glad um, to be able to, to have that challenge with you. I would remind you, friends, that we can do hard things. And sometimes our faith calls us to do hard things, and that was the case for the Corinthians. And so we will be with them in this journey of their learning, and hopefully we will learn along with them. So right now in this sermon series, we're giving our attention to the messiness of life together. Have you noticed that since you have been isolated in your homes, that sometimes the, the people who are closest to you, that 
Those are messy relationships. It's just hard sometimes when you've been cooped up together um, that, that we struggle with each other. I am very much looking forward to the day when we can all be face-to-face in Sunday school, in worship, and we can have donuts again, right? Whoop, whoop. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great. Great day. But you probably also remember that it's hard, right? When we're all together and we have to make decisions and not everybody's on board and it's just, uh. And you know why that is? Because we are imperfect people. That's just the reality of the situation. The same was true in Corinth, right? We get in each other's way. We step on each other's toes. We're imperfect people. I hope that our time of forced distance will make us appreciate community when we're able to have that again. But make no mistake, imperfect people struggle when you put us together. So the same was true in Corinth. Last week, Pastor Mark introduced you to the Corinthians, and they are the recipients of this letter from the Apostle Paul. You might remember from that introduction that this letter is written in response to specific concerns that have been shared with Paul. It is likely that there were not just two letters written to the church in Corinth, but that there were several. In fact, most scholars believe that there was one before 1 Corinthians, And then they received that letter, and it would have been read aloud in front of the congregation or the community, the diaconia, and uh, not everybody was happy necessarily, probably, with Paul's instruction to them. And so then they kind of had some factions, and you'll see that in the letter of the 1 Corinthians. And so they write to him again, you know, are you sure, Paul, do you really mean, you know, That all goes, right? And so he writes this letter to them, probably at least the second of his letters, and then there's probably one in between that and and the next letter of 2 Corinthians, what we know of as 2 Corinthians. And this is how they communicated back and forth, uh, writing letters. But but what I want to be able to say to you is that when you write a letter to someone, you're assuming that some of those conversations have already happened. And we wouldn't necessarily have the advantage of knowing what those conversations are. Um, So I want to offer you some context this morning. I want us to try to understand what Paul's perspective would have been as he's writing this letter. So do you remember when you became old enough, maybe you and your siblings, that your parents would leave you home alone? I can remember that my mom and dad took a walk every evening after supper, and that was not something we were welcome to do with them. They made that clear, and that was their time, right? And they would leave my brother and I home alone. And, you know, it's amazing all the things we could have done if we had just cooperated. But we never did. We fussed with each other all the time. And so when my parents would come home, of course, then they get the stories, right? He did this to me. He pushed me. He, you know, all the stuff. And then, you know, she never, she, all yeah. Okay. You you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So if you're a parent and you have experienced this, when you come home, that's where Paul is, right? He knows the participants very well in the struggle. He's aware of personalities. He knows the situation. He knows the context. He knows all of that, but he wasn't there. He doesn't know what really happened, And so he's trying to piece together from, you know, well, this person said this, and this person said this, and I know this about them, and, uh, you know, he's trying to figure out, okay, so what, 
What is really the truth? Because here's the thing, Paul's call is to continue to start new churches. So he doesn't ever intend to come back to the church in Corinth and take leadership. He, he intends for them to, to go ahead and, and do it, you know, like launch. Their model was very different than, you know, having a pastor appointed and that pastor's in charge until the next pastor's appointed. No, 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 no. He's like, I formed you, I taught you, and now you do it. And I'll write you letters, but it's on you. You've got to survive. And so that's very important, obviously, to remember about how Paul is approaching this early Christian community, right? What he's doing in these letters is offering them pointed guidance, much like a parent trying to help settle conflicts between their children. And so there's two things that you really need to know about the Corinthians, things that Paul would have known, they would have known. It would, there wasn't any reason to even say them, but it's part of their reality that we wouldn't understand today. The first is that the location of Corinth directly affects its culture. I'm going to show you where Corinth is located on a map. And what I want you to notice is that it sits right on a narrow isthmus, this little strip of land which allowed goods to be carried across the land, which would have significantly shortened a sea journey. And that's important to know because for that reason, Corinth was actually a very vibrant and active city, a hub of trade, a melting pot of cultures, ethnicities, religious identities. It reminds me of a cantina scene from Star Wars. And I want you to have an image of these people in your head, okay? When you look out or when you're at home at worshiping with us, we don't look like the cantina scene from Star Wars, okay? You know what I'm saying? We're kind of homogenous. That's not the way it was. Now, you need to know this, right? Don't you need to know this in order to understand what Paul is, is saying to them, how, how he's teaching them? All right, so that's number one, cantina, all right? Number two, Paul fervently believed, was convicted that Jesus was going to return in his lifetime. Now, can you imagine the urgency that that would give him in the instructions that he offers to this young church? His view of marriage? widowhood, procreation, intimacy. That's going to look very different than if he was writing this letter imagining, you know, some people in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2,000 years are going to be reading this letter and I wonder what they will need. I wonder what instructions they would need. Now, he would write a very different letter to us. But, but with that understanding that, you know, Jesus is going to come back so you need to get it together, friends. Right? That's, that's his... The urgency of that is important. Now just imagine that if he were writing to us, don't you think that marriage wouldn't necessarily be assumed to be a distraction from your faith? If he was, in his mind, if he thought 2,000 years later, these folks in Tulsa are going to be hearing this, marriage wouldn't be seen as a distraction. Reproduction wouldn't be seen as a moot point. I can tell you that. So we need to read Paul's instructions in light of this conviction that Jesus is going to return before he dies. That's just, you just have to know that, okay? So now we come to this lengthy set of instructions, which fills all of chapter 7. In the pastor talk, I 
and ask you to read chapter 7. You really need to read the whole thing so you can see his argument there. But what he's addressing are our priorities, really. Our priorities about sex, marriage, honor for oneself and the other, intimacy. Because, remember, he's responding to concerns that have been raised in this congregation. So here's the question that Paul is is facing. How do we live real life when we believe that the near future will make this life obsolete? Right? That's a tough question. And Paul, in this letter, he's trying to hold the both, which creates a natural tension. Surely you can see that. It leads to what is sometimes described as talking out of both sides of your mouth. And if it feels that way to you, if it feels like in Paul's letter he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, it's because he knows these are real life issues and you have to deal with real life, but it's not going to last very long, so, so hang tight. Okay? So, so what you're perceiving there is, is true. All right? And, and this is the important question to ask. What is Paul's ultimate ethical imperative? Now, that's probably too many words. Okay? What's his ruler? What's his north star? What's the bottom line for Paul? What is he really concerned about? What is his guiding principle that remains consistent even when the circumstances change? And for Paul, here's the bottom line. Protect the fabric of community. That's the bottom line. No matter what you do, do that. And if you read all of 1 Corinthians, you can see how important that is. He tells them, don't fuss with each other to the point that you hate each other. You know, it's okay to have a fuss now and then, but you need to remember your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? Protect the fabric of community. In order for this early community of believers to continue their witness for Jesus Christ and to get as many followers to join them before Jesus comes back. Can you feel it? In the midst of the cantina? right? He says, you got to stay together. you got to stay together. That's the most important thing. you got to stay together. All right. Now, I need you to back off of how important that is for Paul and just reflect with me for a moment. Is it true that misplaced sexual desires tear at the fabric of community? Is that true? It'd probably be okay. You have your masks on. If you want to say amen, that'd be okay. Thank you. This is a hard part of what it means to be human. And if you want to talk about imperfect people, if you want to talk about messy relationships, you just start talking about the details of intimacy. And you'll get there real quick. And it was true in Paul's day. It's, it's true today. Even with clear ethical lines this part of our humanity, this part of what it means to be human can lead us astray. And it does all the time. Now, there's another twist. Are you ready? Here's something they would have known would have been common knowledge to them that we really don't understand. In Corinth, it was common for people to share devotions to many gods That was known as a form of worship, really kind of devotion uh, uh, as paganism. And in that devotion to different gods, part of that action were ritualized sex 
experiences as a part of religious bartering for fertility, okay? And, and that was common. It was actually understood to be beneficial for the community, to help them as a community. It was a good thing. So I want you to imagine now that you're a Corinthian in the cantina, and, and you have, for whatever reason, heard this witness about Jesus, and you begin to believe that, and all of a sudden, your loyalty has to shift from all of these different gods to the one God, the God of Jesus Christ, God the Father. First of all, I mean, can you just imagine? Like, that's huge. I mean, confirmation should be like three years under that situation. I mean, because it's like you just have to change everything. All of your paradigm about what it means to have faith has to completely change. And now you're in the minority, okay? So all of your friends, your relatives, your extended family, all these folks, they're looking at you and saying, one God? <laughs> I mean, like you could have more. Is one enough? Really? I mean, don't, you know, like, what if that one isn't working so well for you? What if, right, and this is, this is happening, okay, all throughout their, their culture and their experience. And, by the way, these rituals of sex and fertility, that's off limits to you now. It's supposed to be a good thing. It's supposed to be helpful. It's supposed to be beneficial to community. And now, now you can't do that. And oh, by the way, Paul is not the only one who is instructing this community. Because he's gone, remember? So now they have other people going, I know that's what he said, but that's not really the, the thing, you know. How would that be? I mean, I just need to say that today in our, in our chancel, we uh, asked our confirmands the same questions we ask the confirmands every single year. You know, do you profess your faith in Jesus Christ? Put your whole trust in him. Serve him as your Lord and Savior. Be a part of the church, which he has opened to all ages, nations, and races. And we, like, they'd be going, uh, what? <laughs> what does that really mean? And different people are telling them different things. And, and their culture is the cantina. And, you know, it's just hard. All of that is hard. And so that's where we come to the, the passage from today. And here's the question I want us to consider. Out of all of that, what holy instruction does this text offer us now? Might even be good to just pray about that, don't you think? Let's pray together. Almighty God, who is the creator of the universe, you know that we don't live in Corinth. And you know that our perception is we are not under a time crunch believing that Jesus will come back before we die. And you can deal with us as you see fit on that one. But we just need to say that the level of urgency for us is different than it was for the Corinthians. And you know that our cultural messages about sex and sexuality and chastity and idol worship, they're not any healthier than those of Corinth, but they are certainly different. So we pray that you would lead us where you want us to go with this passage. Reveal your holy word and your good and perfect will for us because we want to do what you've asked us, God. 
We trust that you can do this and that you will. Amen. So for the last couple of weeks, this text has been living in my soul and I've been praying a particular prayer similar to the one that I just led us in, like, where is it, God, in the midst of all of that? Where is the word? And this was where my attention was drawn. Verse 32, the very first sentence, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties, of anxieties. I think that's what Paul is saying, right? I don't want you to be anxious. I want you to be free to respond wholly to God with all your devotion. I don't want you to be distracted by something that's going to be painful for you. I want you to be free of anxieties. I hunch that this is the point of everything Paul says in this chapter. I hear him pleading with this young church, do not let sex become a situation that's going to bring anxiety on you. It simply doesn't matter whether a man is circumcised or not. It doesn't matter. If you are married, stay that way. If you're not married, stay that way. If you're single and cannot abstain, get married. <laughs> right? That's what he says, right? And all of that, right? All of that is don't let this be a source of anxiety for you. I want you to be free. And here's the message I hear Paul offering even 2,000 years later. Don't you know that all of life is under God's direction? Not just the part you show at church, but all of it, all of your life is under God's direction. So before you decide what is necessary or unnecessary, before you try to ask how many angels will fit on the head of a pen, like can you just back up for a little while and realize that all of life is under God's direction. Every bit of it. God cares about all of it. So listen for God's direction first before deciding what is necessary and unnecessary in your life. And whatever you do, do not tear at the fabric of community. Honor your body. Honor one another. Honor God. Does that feel right? Does that resonate? I, I, that's what I think Paul is... in. All of this stuff, I think that's really where he's going. So I want you to hear this good news today, friends. Are you ready? You want some good news? God wants you to be free from anxiety. Thank you. That is good news. In the middle of a pandemic, when you all have masks all over your faces, that's good news. God doesn't want that for you. We are imperfect people when it comes to sex and sexuality. In fact, this can be one of our biggest stumbling blocks in our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. Paul's instruction to his church is intended to push them past their stumbling blocks, okay? To lift their gaze, as it were. Don't be looking at your navel, okay? Lift your gaze. Look out. See where God is, is leading you. In Tulsa, 2,000 years later, in the middle of a pandemic, where more people than ever are suffering from a loss of connection and seeking it in ways that are damaging and destructive, I think this message still fits. So let's be honest about the imperfections that we have around sex and sexuality. None of us are perfect in that. None of us are. And in our honesty, then, 
we can know that God is calling us toward redemption and peace. A life free from anxiety. Amen? Amen.